0: This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nikidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully ever, 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona.
1: Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything so Jess has been doing her long runs interval sessions and she will be tackling the final 10k in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes
0: yeah big focus on endurance and a brand new foam which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs so if you want to know more head to the link in the show notes are listening to the running channel podcast with me andy Badley, my co-host sarah hartley and still for some reason over there because
2: he hasn't taken the hint and he's still here for Rick, some Kelsey. Reason, <laughs> for my, some this, reason this thing wouldn't happen without these legs <laughs> it's your legs though
1: it's not the legs it's the buttons rick oh, well, and that's andy the problem he's know. trying to
2: push the buttons with his legs <laughs>
1: <laughs> is it, is maybe it. that's where you're going wrong We've had quite an exciting week this week.
0: It feels like it's been a relentless week. We just had something <laughs> different every day, yeah. There has go.
1: been so much exciting running stuff going on. We're going to save some of it for the news, so stay tuned for that. Yep. But first, we had such a good Saturday, didn't we?
0: We did. We hosting uh we were hosting an amazing run club. We had probably 80 90 people come um, and run with us. Really beautiful route. They got to do some drills with me, which you made an amazing admission about. Like you've seen me coach those same drills quite a few times. And Mm -hmm. I was like, do you actually ever do any of these anymore? Are you getting bored of watching me? You're like, yes, I'm getting bored of watching. And no, I don't
1: ever do them. (laughs) I do. If I go to a track and I've given myself enough time, I will do them. And then I'll also, I have like, I'm gradually elongating my warm up from my front door rather than running from the gate. I will now do a bit more, but yeah, you you admitted to more than that.
0: You said that actually probably one of the best sessions you'd ever had was on the track the other day. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm remembering that slightly differently. Yeah, I warmed up. Yeah, and it's because you'd warmed (laughs) up and done
1: some of the dynamic
2: drills to actually get ready to go.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. And then your run was better because of it.
1: It's so much better. It was also so much better this week. I did a yoga session and then an easy run and then did a long run and it felt great
2: and now your back's okay as well
1: my back is actually okay now it's amazing how
2: you, <laughs> you know, it, back with a bit of it's amazing warm-up. that yeah. if
1: you do everything that we say it actually means you can run it really works well. yeah do you also
0: do you know you want to know how you know her back's okay <laughs> because she's sitting oh no comfortably she hasn't been moaning about it true, constantly true. for yeah, the last yeah, however many yeah. hours
1: hey look back pain is incredibly painful no i know oh, I, yeah.
0: i've i've, I've I literally felt your pain yeah so um, well I, the
1: next I, time you feel it you're not getting any sympathy yeah, yeah that's
0: fair <laughs> enough which will be very soon because I'm old so the, uh, yeah we did this this run club we had these these people come for the run with us what always gets me as well same as on the podcast is the questions that people will ask that well, some of them are, are brilliant and a little bit scary because they'll be about something that one of us has said on the podcast that I've totally forgotten about mm-hmm. uh, which is amazing but then also just stuff that's really insightful and, and it reminds me of the reason why we're doing it in the first place is that there's loads of questions that might seem like they're really individual to one person but then when they ask it you're like yes actually i've always wondered that or or hopefully we've got an answer for it if they're asking us the
1: questions (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this week we want to answer the question of another kind of running buzzword which not that many people understand i definitely didn't for a long time in running cadence what is it how do you measure it and should you change it? Is it something that you need to be worrying about?
0: Well, we're going to come back to that in a second because we haven't found out about Rick's running this week. And he was talking to me earlier about his technological proficiency. Listen.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> but actually, this one's about buttons as well, right? Well, I, I struggle a lot, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> just, in, in, in just in life, in life yeah, <laughs> with, with running technology. And I'm really struggling with, with running watches. So we're doing a challenge at the moment, which is... Um, it's about negative splits, mm-hmm. and we have to do five k, and we have to do negative splits throughout. But my lap distance on my watch, I oh, like the auto lap. Yeah, or my auto lap, yeah. it is set at one point six. I, uh, for so the, so is that, is that at a mile. a mile. A mile. Yeah. I, for the life of me, could not figure out how to change this. <laughs> I mean, this challenge is probably takes you know to set it up, film it, get out there, three hours or something. I, what, it? So three it's, hours to run, run a 5K? Well, to be honest, it took me that long to figure out how to change the lap distance. <laughs> just, both of my children had had birthdays. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I think your children would have been more technologically you, proficient. You, you should you, have just handed the watch over to Elizabeth. You, you, go, yeah,
2: exactly, you go not to settings, you go to activity, then running, and yeah, then, run run, settings, yeah. run, then running, you go to do you want to change your settings? Then you go to, (laughs) shall I change my settings? Then you go to kilometers and you go kilometers, would you like to change it back to miles? No. Then you find distance, <laughs> uh, but by this point there's no point in running anymore. <laughs> by this point, you've forgotten what you were actually doing in the first you know what place. The worst you've completely thing is. given up. And I was, just, I was like, I can't text Sarah and Andy to ask them you how to do this because
1: well, they're absolutely just gonna
2: absolutely laugh. Me. I went through all running blogs. I went through our own running blogs. I watched so many of our own videos <laughs> to try and figure out how to how to change this. And then I was like what am I doing this challenge for? Because I can't remember any of the script.
1: <laughs> what I love is that, number one, if you'd even Googled that, I could have found you an answer in five seconds. I did Google Two, it. you yeah, could have yeah. messaged us and we would have found you an answer in five seconds. And three, the... The process that you explained to get to there actually seems quite logical. Yeah, that's a uh, run setting. Oh, so it's going to run settings. It's not on the app. Oh, it's wanted, on the watch?
0: Yeah, yeah. But you're you're out there. You want to be able to change it whilst you're out at a, at a run, right? The best yeah. thing about that though is that yeah, you're well, saying that's if a you're good
1: you're rocking point. up to right, a start is... line and you're like, oh no, I've left my phone in my drop bag. Well,
2: you miss the race because it takes that flaming long. Well, <laughs> you'll you'll have missed the race. Everyone else has cracked on. Yeah, including everyone me else and Sarah. is like,
1: let <laughs> me just swiftly change my. The best bit as
0: well is that that during that story, you were like, by the end of that whole process you'd more or less lost the will to go out and do it. And I'm pretty sure that would have been the same for anyone listening to this podcast, listening to
2: that anecdote. (laughs) Which is why we're going to talk about running cadence. Yeah, hopefully you're already
1: running if you're listening to this. But uh, if you're not, do get out the door. We'll get more interesting.
2: (laughs) So
0: yeah, cadence. Um, Let's start with what is it? It's something that people talk about a lot. uh, And you'll hear a lot of people also mention 180 as this kind of magical cadence number. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to ignore that. And I'll tell you why a little bit later, I suppose. But cadence, first off, it's how many steps you take per minute. So it's measured in steps or strides per minute. SPM. Yes. Nice. Sarah's straight in with the acronym. <laughs> Rick also
2: looks very happy because there's one that he knew. What 163. 163 is Rick's cadence. Is that yours? That's my so average Is that cadence. your
1: average on like a hard effort or your average on an it's easy one? It's my
2: average overall cadence because I know how to find that on my watch. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> <laughs> and in, and in, and, in the, and in the app, right? And in the app, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Although it does vary, I'd say you know your cadence does go up and down. So my max cadence, if I was kind of going all out in a five k, would be about one eight three. Right. So it does move up quite a bit compared up and down.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. So let's start there. Thanks, Rick. No the the, uh, the there's the, there's a lot of talk about one eighty as a magical number for what your cadence should, in inverted commas, be. But all of that that just came from a study of elite runners. I think in like maybe a 10K or something at a world championships where someone measured their cadence and it, the average of all of the best runners in the world was 180. But what that doesn't tell you is that in that same race, there were elites running very similar times to each other where some of them had a cadence of 200 and some of them had a cadence of 160, mm. which then averaged at 180. So to tell anyone out there, oh, you need to be 180 is, is nonsense. So.
1: And will your cadence change depending on what distance you're running as well or is it yeah. totally speed based? I guess that's the same thing. But yeah, if you,
0: well, if you ran all the distances at the same speed, yeah. then your cadence would be similar apart from if you got tired. Um, yeah, but so yes.
1: 180, is that going to be totally, like that? giving that figure is like a desired thing. That isn't going to be the same if you're heading out for a, an easy 5K or if you're in no. a 5K race or if you're in a 10K race. Like 180 in a marathon is going to be quite hard to hit
0: Yeah. for what, some people. well, exactly. And, and it depends on what your normal cadence is. So everyone will have their own individual range of cadences which are unique to them and they will be different at each pace um, because something needs to change for you to run faster so if you're running at a faster pace and your stride length stayed the same then you would have to have a higher cadence but in reality both of them should increase a little bit if you're being more powerful because you're running more quickly then your stride length will get longer uh, but your cadence might also change a little bit as well so you're, you're kind of changing both of them but what you don't want to do is change them so much that you over so if you really increased your stride length, but kept your cadence the same, then you'd be taking these kind of long bounding leaps, which would be really bad because you'd be making contact with the ground way out in front of you, which you then, that slows you down because as mm. you hit the ground, you hit with your heel, you'd be breaking and slowing down. So, um, so yes, you, you'd need to increase your cadence kind of accordingly.
2: So in theory, if you're being more cautious on a run, maybe because you're returning from injury, yeah. then your cadence would be shorter. So you'd have more steps per minute. Because you wouldn't be striding. So, your, your stride point.
0: length would be shorter and your cadence would be higher for sure. So yeah, 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 so your yeah. cadence would be higher. Yeah, and actually, yeah. that's what we, I think we touched on this when we were talking about your return from, yeah, from surgery yeah. and stuff in a previous episode. But also, we'd advise, or I would have been advised this, that if you're setting off on a long run, for example, and you, you haven't done any kind of massive warm up, setting off in that first five to 10 minutes with an increased cadence will reduce the impact and allow your musculature to, to kind of warm up more effectively because you're taking sort of slightly more shuffly steps which means you're not overstriding. Mm. so therefore the impact is is slightly reduced. So a higher cadence then
2: yes yeah, higher, yeah, yeah. higher
0: cadence lower lower stride length so you're sort of deliberately shuffling a little bit to start with and if you watch the kenyans that's what they do as well that they they start incredibly slowly um but they'll, they'll have a slightly quicker turnover Um, So yeah, you you just wanna be starting with quicker, shorter steps before you then
2: get into your natural rhythm. Yeah, my cadence is much higher now than it was three years ago, post osteotomy. Um, Yeah,
0: so post all of the knee issues. Yeah, yeah. And that that does like having a higher cadence, but you've probably got a similar, or maybe even a reduced stride length based on like what you've been through and the change to your mechanics. That makes sense to me. Um, But then people will always ask like, should you try to improve your cadence? So we've done a whole video about that.
1: Yeah, was cadence ever something in your training that you focused on did you ever take your cadence into account and this could be the because everyone always talks about one percent improvements if someone's looking yeah. to get faster over a distance is this one of the one percent that could help
0: so i didn't directly measure my cadence because i don't think the technology existed Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: there was just someone next to you with a tape measure and a, yeah. And a stopwatch yeah and a, and a, <laughs> or slight, or a clicker a chalk just make
2: it wouldn't have changed that much though andy would it so w- what is it now what's your stride length now
0: Oh, I didn't look at my stride length. I did look at my cadence, which um, on, you know, somewhere in that 170 region. Yeah. Uh, but obviously changes on different runs.
2: Um, so it's probably similar to what it was when you were racing.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'd I'd be interested to measure it. I know my stride length was... Well, actually, I did, the one thing I did do is I used to do strides, which we'd always talk about as part of our warm-up. So I'd do 100 metres hard before a hard workout or a race. And I could count how many strides it took me to... Now, I'm trying to remember how many it was to do, to do exactly 100 meters. Mm. And I, I want <laughs> to say. Just watch the cogs yeah, in Andy's yeah. brain. It was just, well, it's, it's, it's it's just short of 25 strides, but that was counting one leg. So that means 50
2: strides. So then each of my strides would have been two meters. Wow, that's enormous. That's absolutely enormous. Sarah, I cannot tell you how mammoth that is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Rick was shot. What was your stride length? So 1.1, clue. you'd
2: said before this, right? Y- yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: I, I, that's almost
2: double. Why geek out on this kind of stuff? So my stride length's is 118. I imagine you're... 118 centimetres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, two metres. I mean, yeah. that is Goliath territory. Good. You were flying. I suppose <laughs> that's why <laughs> yeah. you were in Olympic finals. That's probably why. So it, was every, <laughs> was it was everybody's Rick's stride finally length. finally I I Yeah, can't, it's I has got clock that I was okay at running. <laughs> I can't, Well, I have known him since I was about eight. Um <laughs> But, was everybody's cadence that look No, stride seeing, so you
0: see, height depends, varies with height. My, my stride was really deceptive. So what was really frustrating is I do not feel like I was running that long ago, but not that many of my races are on like YouTube and stuff because it was relatively fledgling. I found a race the other day that was in- I've got uh, more
2: saved on video.
0: That was in, <laughs> yeah, my dad has too. Um, I found a race the other day that was in 4-3 aspect ratio. <laughs> 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 he wasn't even in widescreen.
2: Um, so, it, so yeah, but, but it was only five years ago. I mean, what, what have you just well, not well, updated your finished, television? Well, that's when
0: I finished running. But like, if you think about, I suppose what I'd consider the peak when I was running, the fat my fastest was like yeah, 2008 yeah. right. till 2012. So during that, in the early part of that, I think widescreen actually had only just come in, so it wasn't always. Anyway, yeah. what was deceptive is my knee carriage in front of me was really low, so I didn't lift my knees very high, and people would make fun of that. Um, so it didn't look like I had a long stride. And so it was really deceptive, and so if, uh, plenty of my training partners would really struggle to run behind
2: me and, and be able to gauge what pace I was running I at. I see, so you, I get it. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that. No? I shouldn't interrupt an Olympic athlete when he's in his full stride. <laughs> well, like you said, you've known incredible, full two meters stride. Incredible. Should Look at the broadcasting you were, professional. You were deceiving people. So this is how you won all those races. You used to deceive people. You were the gazelle on the track, weren't you?
0: So we genuinely, Andy and myself, we'd have had we had conversations about this. There was a couple of runs, races that I did where that was the game plan. like Some people remember me from running at the back a lot. And that ironically was when I was most confident because if I was running towards the back, I knew I could see what was in front of me and then hopefully pick up through it and then sprint at the end. But in some races, I would go to the front deliberately early in the race and then we'd have it as a strategy that with 700 meters to go, um, I would go to the front and just start pushing a little bit. But because my stride didn't really change and it was deceptive anyway, quite often I, I did that a few times and almost immediately would get a gap because the people behind me wouldn't have realized that I was making a bit more effort and that we were actually running faster. And then all of a sudden you can get three, four, five meters as a gap. And then I could look up on the big screen maybe and see that I had a gap and then just increase again and try and build on that gap. And then by the time that, you know, if, if my main rivals potentially weren't right behind me when that happened, if they're like sitting fourth or fifth in the pack and the people in front of them don't react, then all of a sudden I've got 10 or 20 meters on the, the people who are I'm actually worried about potentially. I see. So, anyway, that's a nice little aside, little trip down memory lane, and <laughs> yeah. four three aspect ratio in black and white. So, I mean, I forgot how we segued into that. We were that.
1: talking about does it differ between like different athletes oh, as yeah. well, and you were saying height is a big one. So, I know after London Marathon, it always comes up as a bit of a buzzword of like, oh, what was everyone's cadence running? Yeah. And there, there are really, really big differences between the elites because if you if you are if you are a gazelle like andy and you've got a nice long stride length then that might mean that your cadence is a little bit lower whereas there are some people where their cadence even in a marathon is like over 200 because they might be a bit shorter and so they're taking a lot more steps with a shorter stride length
0: yeah and that is literally just maths isn't it if you've got a much strider if you've got two people of vastly different heights and builds running next to each other running at the same pace and you can see that they've got a different stride length and mm. they've obviously also got a different cadence to kind of compensate. I always that find,
1: sorry. sorry, I was going to say, I always find that really interesting, though, because it, it's very easy to assume that like, oh, there's a there's like an, a perfect anatomy of a runner mm. in that, like they need to have really long legs so that they can have this like perfect stride length and take over. But actually, I find the runners that are the most impressive are the ones where it it looks hard. Like, but they're still going at exactly the same pace. Like, there are people yeah. who have won races by absolutely belting it down, and you can see that effort coming in. Whereas, like, like you say, you just look too easy when so you're a
2: high cadence. Then, basically, I definitely didn't a high feel... cadence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
1: uh, athletes like um, like Charlotte Purgey. She's like quite a small athlete, yeah. so her cadence always looks like she's absolutely nailing it. it. Yeah. Even yeah. though that pace might feel comfortable, but I bet you her, stride her. length
0: is still pretty long. It'd be really deceptive. well. That's the like, thing. She's yeah. Got quite nice. Yeah. Like. Uh, you can see that that when people are kicking up behind them and the way that they're, they're like rotation of their legs and stuff. Um, but to talk about why you might want to change cadence, because mm-hmm. that's what people... Th- the advice is if you could slightly increase your cadence, then most people might benefit from that. Yeah. If you're not having any injury problems and you're all like, don't try and mess with your running style. Most people's bodies self-optimize. But if you have had a few niggles or are stepping up in the distance and looking to, to go a bit faster or whatever it might be, you can look to make small improvements but trying to go from like 160 to 180 would be crazy mm. it's more just that tiny little change because if you've got a slightly more efficient cadence then you might be reducing that risk of overstriding of making foot contact out and sort in front of your hips where you are there therefore breaking putting a lot of extra forces through all mm-hmm. of your your joints as you make that impact with the ground so you're you're therefore minimizing your your risk of injury by making a small change
1: and if someone does want to make a change what what runs are the best ones to have a little bit of a play with cadence?
0: Shorter, easy runs, you know, rather than trying to, you don't want to do it in anything that's going to be hard or fatiguing because you want to do it in the the stuff where you can run easily and focus on it so that you then kind of automatically remember it muscle memory in the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you asked me whether I was ever thinking about it. I wasn't measuring it, but I was trying to in in hindsight, adapt or, or like optimize my cadence by doing drills. So fast, Kind of cycling drills, which are all focused on using my hamstring and my glutes to bring my foot contact underneath my body as dynamically as, as possible. And when you watch, like particularly the fastest athletes in the world, like the sprinters, doing their drills, and you see that snap that they've got with their their hamstrings or whatever, where they pull that foot contact underneath there, and you can hear it, like the the, the kind of the snap, snap, snap against the ground. Yeah. Um, all of those drills will help, and then you can do things like uh, on a very slight decline, so not not a steep downhill because downhill running probably is, is bad for you. Um, you can try to think about increasing your cadence by by running quite fast on a, on a short downhill for doing strides like that because that forces you to bring your foot underneath your your mm-hmm. hips as, as you're running um, as opposed to reaching out in front of you because if you reach out in front of you too much on the downhill, then that's sort of going to fall over, I guess.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think what you said there that's quite key And what I use is that it, it's not necessarily literally just thinking about that it's that actually like your cadence will slightly alter if you start thinking about all of those other form improvements so if you can do those drills then you might see a difference and you can look at that and you'll watch stats after but it's not simply just about like doing a lap of the track and counting and then doing another lap of the track and counting again
0: no no don't don't measure it whilst you're doing it just think about the cues like exactly what you've said I, I almost don't need to say it again but think about staying tall keeping your hips high And then making these nice snappy foot contacts underneath your body and making those foot contacts as quick as possible. Talk about like the floor is lava as a nice cue. And I think that's basically a brilliant place to finish our summary of cadence.
1: Yeah, if you do have any other questions about cadence, please do email in podcast at therunningchannel.com and we can answer them in a future podcast. But you are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got your questions to answer. Plus we've each picked a new story from the world of running to discuss. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite shoes. Now at the Running Channel we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule.
0: Yes you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace and you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that and the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus so that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about
1: about. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Underarm infinitely, head to the link in the show notes. Okay, so I want to start off by talking about an event that we went to on Saturday night, Night of the 10,000 PBs. Nice. It was so epic. I'd never been before, and it was so cool to see runners up close because I've been to I've I've been to watch Elite runners before, yeah. but you're usually you're not ever. You basically I can't even get my words out. I'm so excited. So, yeah, about so excited. It. You if you go to watch runners on a track normally, you are in the stands quite far away. Yes. At night of the ten thousands, you are literally track side. Like you can see the sweat. <laughs> yeah, they let flying people, off their faces. Let people
0: in lane three and in the infield. So you're literally, you, you know, you're within a few feet of the runners as they fly past, and yeah. you don't on the TV as well. You've got no idea how fast these guys are running uh, guys girls whoever's involved like that you, you've got no no perception of the speed unless you mm. see them flash past wow. but even
1: even when they are going past in real life it still doesn't quite feel real and like i think running is so deceptive in that there were people flying past at like two three minute kilometer pace yeah and it's still it still looks like ah. Oh, how long can I keep up with that yeah. for? And then you actually work out how fast they're running and go, wow, they look effortless coming past.
0: Yeah, and th- and then you see the ones that don't. You were talking about yeah. loving, you were loving uh, watching people where their their like cadence or running style is like looks more aggressive, like they're really trying hard. But watching mm. the um, the elite races towards the end of the night, the people at the front did look so effortless. So in particular, Paul Paul Chalimo, who won the the men's race. Yeah, he ran. He broke the meeting record. He ran. I want to say 27, 12. So just missed out on the world championship standards, but those standards have been made crazy fast by the, the way that shoe technology is changing. Yeah. Um,
1: it was also incredible to just see the, the, like the difference as well. I think it's so interesting when you, when you watch like a huge mass participation event that has like an elite field at the front, then you see the range all the way from like, let's take 10 K times, for example, from 30 minutes, but then you don't necessarily take in the people at, at the other end of the elite field. Whereas Mm. what was interesting is just seeing like, there are people who are coming across the line towards the end of the race. They are still running times that boggle my brain, like 32 minutes for a 10K. And then like some people were disappointed with that, which is fair enough. Like if you're training for the whole time, then that's fair. But I think it's just so interesting to see like an an entire race where you've got that whole, whole range and seeing people like really fight for it.
0: Yeah, just for anyone who's who's watching or listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, this is essentially the Glastonbury of athletics is how it's been described.
1: That makes you sound really old. That's that's what they had on the posters. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I like it. I think that's good.
0: Yeah, it feels is, like a festival. Yeah. So it's free yeah, it entry cool. to anyone who wants to come and watch it. Um, they have beer tents that spread over the whole, but of both straights. So they they the beer tents essentially mounted on the infield and then span the whole of the track on the back straight and the home straight. And then the audience, the, the people, the fans watching, um are allowed all the way into lane three so only the, the inside three lanes are used um and just that atmosphere that that creates it gets dark as the elite races are kind of starting mm-hmm. there's pyrotechnics so there's flamethrowers going up into the sky
1: that's really cool yeah. that i think they need at the olympics
0: well they, i mean they have the olympic well,
1: flame,
2: flame. Oh.
1: yeah but they don't have this literally had like above the so when they it, it took a couple of races for me to understand this but when i think when they had four laps to go yeah on the four laps to go, one flame would go up. On three laps to go, two flames would go up. And then it would basically count it down in flames. And yeah. then when the winner crossed the line, the whole arch over the finish line was just fire. Yeah.
0: It's it's really hard to describe. It's basically like...
1: <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did quite well there. <laughs>
0: no, no, no. no so it's so it's, it's, it's oh, oh, Brilliant. But what I meant is it's really hard to describe just how much is happening. Yeah. Um, so it's like it's quite an overwhelming sensory experience. Yeah. Um, But
1: I think it's also like, you don't need to know what's going on, which is quite nice as well. Like it's not, it's not like I've been to some sports events where I haven't known any of the rules before going. And you literally spend like the first half going like, so why have they stopped? Whereas like running is literally, you can see across the line. Yeah. First person across the line. Obviously it's lapped. Like some people will get lapped, but you can, there's like, there's a there was a motorbike going around with the lead runner yeah. as well. Yeah, so you always it was, knew where they were. Yeah, and, the, and they ooh. had
0: the screens as well. They had big screens everywhere yeah. with the, the lap times. And then the, the brilliant thing is, that I think you just got, even if you didn't know who people were, it mm. sort of didn't matter. You got swept up in the excitement. Just It was just this huge yeah. buzz um, that you, you know, outside of the major championships, you don't get. And, and like, there was a lot of chat from the people I was speaking to about, like, how can we do this as a sport to actually make people care about, you know, 10,000 metre running. The reason they did it was, That was like the, the, in everyone's mind, the boring bit of of track and field. So when that was on TV, they always cut to ads or they'd cut to other events, uh, field events and so on. Uh, Whereas I think most people would prefer to have like a focus on the field events for a chunk of time. So you actually get to experience that building up but then if the 10k is on to watch the whole thing no completely Um, this
2: is this is the running equivalent of the hundred in cricket where they've tried to make cricket really exciting yes uh, over a shorter period of time although pyrotechnics and running i'm not sure if they always go together my main experience of pyrotechnics is going to a snoop Dogg concert and and the pyrotechnics went off and set his jacket on fire (laughs) well no thankfully no one was on fire so maybe i
1: remember whenever we got pyrotechnics at uni it was always like don't set yourself on on fire fire. yeah yeah (laughs) easier said than done
0: incredible so you're listening to the running channel podcast next up we've got your questions
2: okay question time coralie emailed to ask about race measurement accuracy this is a good one because this happens to me all the time yeah why is my garmin slash strava always measure my completed race distance as longer than the certified race distance. I've run 10Ks, halves and one full, and they can be off by as much as four hundred meters. What's going on? I mean that's pretty standard. I feel like this happens all the time. Yeah. My 5k is always four point nine five K on a Saturday morning. That's so yours measure short. Yeah. Stop cutting the corners, mate. <laughs> You know what just thinking about it there is one corner i do take quite sharp mm, there you go <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, the 50 the meters
1: so this it, uh, this this question comes up a lot yeah. <laughs> and this has happened to me quite a lot if you're the longer the race is the more likely that you are not going to be running bang on the line. what that distance is because yeah. of a number of different factors number one if you're running a marathon you can't run in a straight line because you're going to be going to the aid stations. And you're dodging people. You're dodging people, you're weaving through. That's why at loads Um, of the big races, they have literally a painted line on the floor to get you as close to that as you can be. But I have never run a marathon and not hit marathon distance on my watch before getting to the line so what my biggest tip to anyone if you if you're going for like a certain time yeah. is to use the time that is on your watch and the distance markers that are on the course because yeah. I have been like on track for sub four hours but actually I'm 20 seconds behind before I hit yeah, a distance marker what
2: are you saying you do you'd use the distance markers as like to yeah hit so lap. when
1: so when my watch goes off I, the last time I, when I went for four hours, I had a little wristband on that I bought at the expo, which has, which had all of the, like kilometer I think it was split up into every five kilometer mark and what time I needed to hit to hit sub four yeah so when I hit that time on my watch I would check and I would make sure that I was always inside of that because I would quite often be like 20 30 meters away from say it was like 10k yeah I would be like 30 meters away from the 10k marker so then when I actually crossed the 10k marker I would then check my watch again to make sure that I was still ahead
2: but you wouldn't actually hit Push a button. No, you no. still had the auto no. lap lapping, right? Yeah, the, the, I still had auto give lap you a going.
1: you gauge. I guess if you wanted to, you could also lap your watch to check, but you don't need to.
2: Yeah,
0: I think, because uh, I know there was another part to Corey's question, I think, which was like, should how should she pace herself? Yeah. Based on, but, and I think that, that that ties in really nicely to Mo's three-hour attempt that he ran recently at the marathon. Mm. So he was using his watch to pace him, but it was a quite a windy course in Milton Keynes, a lot of people to dodge through. He ha- wasn't as aware as he probably should have been, of where the actual physical markers were on the course. And I think that Sarah's right. Like the only way to, to pace accurately is to use a combination. So look at what your watch does, but don't rely on it and do clock it I when see. you go through 10K. Have, have some key things written on your arm or on a, on a bracelet or whatever so you know what the time should be. You could turn auto lap off altogether and literally manually lap it every time that you go through.
2: But you've the, got to remember to do it then, haven't you?
0: Yes, exactly. So it's uh, probably like a hybrid of those two things. But another tip would be that I mean, one of the factors is you're running slightly further because you're not following the line exactly. Another one is in London Marathon, for example, there's there's a section with really tall buildings or underpasses and so on. And the GPS is is traditionally famously poor. Mm -hmm. So you can't get accurate kind of readings. Um, And anything that happens where you go through woods or next to tall buildings, whatever will impact your GPS drift. So there are things that you can do to improve that though, one of them would be when most watches ship, they're, they're set to a default mode which is less accurate because it uses less battery. So it might be that the GPS updates every 5, 10, 15, 20 seconds but you can set it to its most accurate setting
2: oh, which see. is every second. So it just drains the battery a lot more but actually it's much more accurate. Yeah, but but you want to I'm not going to try and do that on my watch I'll be it till next year. Yeah, you'll still be running. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be longer than running the marathon. Just come to us we'll set it up for you. <laughs> see, I think
1: though for most people I I'm kind of now I've come to terms with the fact that if you're the longer you run the more likely you are going to go over the one thing that would Hurt me in a race as if it's too short, because <laughs> then it's like because if it's too you long, haven't quite done it, and yeah. you hit your like. I know people as well who like have run London and they they were like maybe going for four or three hours, and they've been like just over, but yes. then their watch has ticked over a marathon, and they've maybe hit their goal on the yeah. finish straight. Yeah, that's obviously hard, but I would say like always, always just plan as if it's going to be a little bit too long.
0: Yeah, be aware of the course markers. Set your watch to the right settings instead of taking it out of the box. And there is one other, one other setting is some watches now come with uh, GNSS, is Garmin's equivalent, which is like multi-band GN- GPS, so it can use multiple satellites at once or systems at once to find the most accurate reading, even if you're in a kind of built-up area. So change your settings and be aware of the physical markers on the
2: course. That's literally an acronym party: GNNNNS. Yeah, I don't actually know what G-N-S-S stands for. We'll find out by next week. Here comes the next question. Uh, This one from John. Uh, John has emailed asking, do you use your daily runner shoe every day on consecutive days or do you let it rest? I read something about decompression theory with running shoes. Ooh, tricky one. I just grab whatever's near the front door.
0: (laughs) Well, we're all lucky that we have the luxury of testing a whole bunch of shoes for the running channel. Most people aren't as lucky. I think, I don't know the answer... For sure, for the modern foams that have changed so much in the last two or three years, but certainly, historically, foams definitely needed a little bit of time to decompress, so to to kind of bounce back from having been put through the paces of running maybe a couple of hours on a long run, that then if you were going to run the next day in that same pair of shoes, you might be better off rotating two identical pairs of shoes Mm. um, to kind of give each one the chance to bounce back. I don't know for sure the science or the testing behind the current foams, but I would say that If you have the luxury of having a couple of different pairs of shoes, then it's likely to make them last longer than just if you bought one shoe, wore it out and then bought the same shoe again. Makes sense.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think definitely with like the softer the foam, personally, the longer I want to leave it. But I never I never really think of that as a conscious choice. There's also the smell run. though
2: as well. You just kind of let your... <laughs> That's a very personal thing, Rick. Oh, true, true. But you know, in general... Is that, that why you rotate you yours? Bre- yeah, you let them breathe.
0: <laughs> it's also why we put him on that table over there. <laughs>
2: <Miles> <laughs>
0: Letting him us. breathe. Yeah. Over I was the corner. wondering about that. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, incredible. You've been listening to The Running Channel podcast. If you would like to have your questions answered by us, then email in to podcast at therunningchannel.com. And also... Make sure, if you if you'd like to, that you rate and do something else. What, what Leave
1: us one? a review. Yeah, Don't that, not that. if you'd like to, do it. Right. now. <laughs> how, how many weeks Put have we comment. been doing yeah. the yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. this, is, does this is podcast number nineteen. And and yeah. you tell, you tell us where you're from. Tell it. us where you're from. Oh yes. Rick. Yes. You'll never guess what. We've had some questions in and they're coming next week. So stay tuned because people know where they're from. I am
0: so <laughs> excited. And we know where they're from. Not in a creepy way. See ya then. This episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which has a focus on both comfort and endurance. So an ultra springy, responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh, which is what Jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10K. And she's been focused on consistency. So being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best.
1: If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.